You're listening to the Citrus Church Podcast. Now, here's the message. Well, as we gather together this morning and as we've sung and as we continue, I want to share uh, the last part of our sermon series as we've been looking at this journey through the wilderness. So, Jared, thank you for leading us. Appreciate you doing that. Um, and as we're coming to this fourth scene, what we've been looking for is and looking at is how God's people in the past have dealt with the wilderness season. And previously, what I defined a wilderness season as is basically a time when we feel like we're wandering, perhaps without a purpose, perhaps unsure of where we're going, perhaps in a very uncomfortable or unnerving type place. The, the wilderness in the Old Testament and the Bible was a place you didn't go, at least not willingly. It was an unknown, chaotic place. And God brings the people out into the wilderness because to get to where they need to go, they have to go through this space to get to the promised land. And there's some things that they need to learn about themselves and about God during this process. So we've been looking at how can we walk faithfully in our own season of wilderness. And the question I think that has really been at the forefront of everything that we've been talking about is this particular one. Do I want to survive or do you want to live? I think that's kind of an obvious answer. I don't think anybody's going to be like, oh, I don't know, I'm good just surviving, right? Like, let me just kind of get through at the bare minimum. I think all of us want to want to live and live fully and deeply and richly. But the way to do that is to go through challenges and to, and, and to embrace the things that are around us that we can't change and to you know, try to change the things that we can. So I think all of us would answer this question of, well, yeah, I want to do more than just survive. But let's dig into our scripture today and look at what that really means, because this was the question before the Israelites as they came out of Egypt on their way to the promised land is, are they just going to survive or are they going to live, right? So to read our scripture for today is Michael and Kirsten Stewart, so I'll turn it over to them for our scripture this morning from Exodus. Hi, good morning. We are the Stewarts. We're reading scripture this morning. The reading this morning comes from Exodus 17, 1 through 7. The whole Israelite community broke camp and set out from the Sin Desert to continue their journey as the Lord commanded. They set up their camp at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. The people argued with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses said to them, why are you arguing with me? Why are you testing the Lord? But the people were very thirsty for water there, and they complained to Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They are getting ready to stone me. The Lord said to Moses, go ahead of the people and take some of the Israel elders with you. Take in hand the shepherd's rod that used to strike the Nile River and go. I'll be standing there in front of you on the rock of Horeb. Hit the rock. Water will come out of it and people will be able to drink. Moses did so while the elder the Israel elders watched. He called the place Massa and Meribah. Because the Israelite argued and tested the Lord, asking, is the Lord really with us or not? Thank you for sharing the scripture with us this morning. Uh, and this is one of the stories that perhaps is familiar, at least you've maybe heard before, if, you're, um, if you've been in church growing up or at some point where Moses hits the rock and water comes forth. It's one of the common ones, but I want to dig a little bit deeper on this particular story. Uh, and if I was going to name this, 
What we see in this particular story is the time when God turned wine into water. (laughs) And I've been laughing at that little joke that I made all week long. So if you enjoy that, I hope that you will. But this is really, of course, in the New Testament, Jesus turns water into wine. But what the miracle that we see here is, is where God turns the wine of the Israelites. They're complaining, they're grumbling, they're whining into water. And I want to look at how that happens and the process that takes place and how the people and how God respond to this particular miracle. It begins with the wine, right? where the Israelites say, God, give us water to drink. We're going to thirst to death out here, right? Come on. Don't you care about us? I mean, there's, a, there's a, a tinge of anger in their voice and frustration. And this kind of connects to the story we talked about last week where they were frustrated because they didn't have any food or water still, right, uh, or bread. And they told God, we would have been better off in Egypt, so there's this, this, this whining and grumbling and complaining. And so their first response is to complain. And their first response was to begin to argue with Moses. Moses, who is the, the representative of God to the people, and kind of their, their go-between between them. And I think we can relate to how they feel, because how quick do you and I go to complaining? How quick when there's something that we need, I mean, like water, like food, like how quick do we also go to complaining? And instead of perhaps on the other side of just asking or of trusting, I think we can relate because we would do the same thing that they would in their shoes. We can relate to the frustration of the Hebrew people. But if you notice what happened, If you look at the scripture, there's no instance, at least that's recorded, where God grumbles or complains about the people. There's other times in the Bible where God's frustrated with with the people, but not here. Quite simply, God just meets the demands and provides water through Moses and through this rock. And the people's response to the reality that they've complained and, and whined to God and God has given this to them without, you know, begrudging them or anything like that, is that there is no sense in the scriptures that they actually enjoyed the gift. Right? The, the place is called Masa and Meribah, which are translated to either quarreling or testing. So it was common back then to, to name a place based off of one's experience there. And so because of the Israelites' response or or, or question to God, the place is named the place of quarreling or the place of arguing. I mean, it could have been named or should have been named God provides, right? Or water from the rock. So that for generations and generations to come, when individuals pass by that place, they would say, oh, this is is the place called God provides or or water from the rock. But no, it's going to be remembered forever and ever, as the place of whining and complaining. We might have some places like that too, right? The place of putting God to the test and quarreling. As I look at this particular scripture, what I see the Israelites doing, and as I see their relationship with God, it's this type of relationship. It's a transactional relationship. 
Now, you can probably guess what that might mean and, and what that might look like. But here's how I would define a transactional relationship. It's a relationship that's built on two people or a group of people buying and selling something. It's a transaction between two people. The goal is for each person to get the best deal for themselves. They're not as concerned about the other person getting a good deal. But if I get a good deal, it's a good transaction. All right, the example for me is that uh, a few months back, we sold one of our cars. And in doing that, my goal was to get the most reasonable amount that we could for our car. And the individual who bought our car also wanted to get the most reasonable price for that car. And so I presented a price and they responded back and we went back and forth transactionally, each offering what we want until both of us felt like we could walk away as a winner. The relationship has not kept up since then. I have not been checking in and saying, hey, how was that car for you? Do you feel like you got a good deal? Like, let's go get coffee. Let me learn more about you and, and your life. And, and beyond the sale of the car, I want to get to know. We have not talked since the sale of that car. And that's kind of the expectation of a transactional relationship. But these kind of relationships are more than just selling and buying things. I mean, carrying on with the car example, driving our car is really a transactional experience. The goal is for me to get what I want, which is to get where I need to go and for me to get there as quick as possible. And I'm not really worried if everyone else around me is having the same experience, right? If they have more delay in their day, it doesn't bother me much. And we know that this is a transactional relationship because the times when we are surprised or caught off guard when we're driving is when someone else goes out of their way to make room for us, right? Like when someone could pass us, but they slow down because you've got your blinker on and they let you over. Or when someone gives up their turn at a, at a light or at a turn or at a four-way stop in order to let you go and kind of waves you along and you think, holy cow, thank you, Right? They take a, transac a, a, a transactional relationship and they flip it around and they make it different. And that surprises us because we don't expect it. Now, the truth is, is we have these kind of reactions and relationships all around, but we have these kinds of relationships in our life also. The Reverend Derek Weber puts it this way, when the transaction between God and God's people becomes so utilitarian, what gets left out is our joy and our gratitude and our worship and our life. What gets left out is everything that matters in a life worth living. I like that quote. And I resonate with that quote. And that quote kind of cuts a little bit to the core, doesn't it? In our life of faith, we can get caught up in the same idea too of just a transactional relationship between us and God or between us and other followers of Jesus or between us and the world. I heard on the radio they were talking about prayer uh, and I made note of this because uh, a lady was talking about her experiences with prayer and how sometimes her prayers can get maybe dry or a little bit one-sided. And, and she said it this way and I heard it and I wrote it down so it's not exactly, but she basically said, you know, I start off my prayer. I pray for my grandmother. I pray for 
world peace. <laughs> she laughed and said, I pray for my cat. Uh, I pray for how much I'd like a newer car. And she said, and then it just kind of rattles off and devolves into a list of things that I want. How many of us can relate to that kind of prayer? I mean, I can. And I think that's what happens to us when we go through these kinds of hard seasons, and especially when we go through a wilderness season, which we're in now. And just because everything is kind of green and, and the weather's a little bit cooler and Perhaps there's some things that are going, well, I, I want us to remember that we're in a wilderness season. This is a hard season in a lot of ways. And so the problem with, with this idea of a transactional relationship is it views God as a vending machine. And I've got to give credit where it's due. This idea of God as a vending machine came from a pastor in Tampa named McGray de Vega. And I've always resonated with that idea of God as a vending machine because that's the kind of relationship we have with the vending machine. When our daughter Addison was young, we used to live in downtown Orlando, and they've got the big branch of the library there. And so we would often go on Friday on my day off or on Saturday to the story time that they would do for little kids. And we would, we would walk over and we'd go in and we'd sit down for the story time and we'd check out some books and we'd read a few books. And then on the way out, we would almost always stop at this little vending machine that they had off to the side. And at the vending machine, we would basically walk in, we would approach it, we would select the thing that we wanted. It would give us joy. It would give our daughter joy. It was kind of like an experience. And we began doing this like, you know, every couple of weeks when we go there, it wasn't anything expensive, just, you know, a bag of chips or something like that. And that transaction would give us joy and excitement as something we would look forward to. But I'd be honest with you, I, I never thought about that vending machine the moment after we left. Right? We enjoyed the chips. We enjoyed the moment together. But that transaction was just momentary. I didn't appreciate the vending machine. I didn't send it cards. I didn't wonder, I wonder how it's doing tonight when the lights are off and every, everyone's gone and it's there by itself. And we've got to be careful because that's what can happen in a wilderness season with God is we have so many things that we need that are tangible. I mean, they're not asking for like a new car or a new camel here in the scriptures. They're asking for water. That's a necessity of life. You and I have some necessities of life that we need right now. There are things that without it, we will not survive. And so we might also feel like this of just saying, look, God, here's the deal. This is what I need. Boom, 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 boom. I need them. And we might end up more in a situation of whining and complaining and grumbling because of what we don't have. We all know that there is more, but we can get stuck in these seasons with God. And it happens in the wilderness because of the necessities and because we're tired physically and emotionally and spiritually. And because of that, we can get stuck with the wine, just like the Israelites did too. I was reminded that in the vending machine, it was Cheez-Its is what we would get every week, which are my favorite. Do you love some Cheez-Its? I want to ask us, what is the alternative, right? To, like Jacqueline said here in the comments, what's the alternative to just these grown-up kind of Amazon wish lists that we can kind of offer to God? To me, the alternative becomes a transformational relationship with God. So instead of just a, a transaction, it's a transformational one. So I want to spend some time getting at that question of 
How do we embrace a life of joy and faith? How do we lean into what God has given us and trust that there will be enough when we need it as we go forward? And just to give you a definition that that I came up with for a, a transformational relationship, it's this. Relationships are, sorry, transformational relationships are based on trust. They're built over time and they're other focused. I think that they involve trust, that they're built over time and they're other focused. And the truth is, you know what a transformational relationship is because you have these. Maybe you'd like more, maybe you'd like them to be deeper, but we have relationships that are transformational, that are built on trust, that have been built up over time and that are focused not just on what I can get, but what on others can have also. So I want to look at what this setting in the Bible could have looked like if it was a transformational relationship. Right? They still could have brought their problem to Moses or to God. But instead of saying, God, give us water to drink. We are thirsty and you don't care about us. You don't love us. I didn't say that. They didn't say that, but it's probably what they're thinking, right? What if instead they said this, God, would you lead us to water? And what's implied in a statement like that is trust. That God is good, that God understands what we need, and that God provides. God, would you lead us to water? We're thirsty. It implies trust. Perhaps they could have said, God, we know that you've provided in the past. I mean, this is the same generation that just was pulled out of Egypt, that saw God's miracles before Pharaoh, that was ushered through the sea onto dry land. Right? We can struggle because we don't see miracles as much often, but they saw this. So what if instead they said, God, we know that you've taken care of us. We know that you provided in the past. And so even though we don't see it now, we believe that you will. And what this says is, is it reminds us that transformational relationships are those that are built over time that, that remember what's happened in the past and the trust that has been done and the provision that's happened, but also expresses our concern and our struggle. A transformational relationship with God doesn't mean that we never tell God what we want or what we need. It just means that we frame it different and that we understand it different. And so instead of it coming from a grumbling or a whining place, it comes from a place of relationship with God. And so this can look like a couple of things for us. And I want to kind of dig into each of these three things. And the three things are that it was first built, that, it, that a relationship like this involves building trust. And, and so one of the ways that we can do this as followers of Jesus is that we can begin our prayer with a statement of trust. As the person said on the radio, it's easy to just begin and kind of rattle off the wish list or the need list that we have before us. Right? Or maybe just kind of the common things. We get stuck in that rut. If we turn it around and we become a little more intentional, we can begin our prayer with something like, God, I know that you're trustworthy. I know that you can be trusted and that you've always provided for your people. Help me to trust in you. Let me break that down a little bit. What's happening here is that we're saying, I recognize who you are. And so instead of making it first about what we need and what we want, we're we're turning it around and saying, God, this is about you. And we're reflecting on who God is versus what we need. 
And so we're reflecting on the reality that God is trustworthy, that God has provided in the past. And we're also expressing the struggle. God, help me to trust in you. Because what's implied there is that I'm having a hard time with it, but I want to, and I know that you're trustworthy. God can handle that. Trust grows in safe spaces. This is true in our relationships, because if we're in a relationship that is trusting, we feel open and we feel safe. We feel that we can share things that are hard or difficult or that others might not hear right, but this person will, because they know us and they know our heart and we know theirs. The same is true with God, that protecting and, and keeping a place set apart for our connection with God helps. And, and that's why I talk often about setting aside a, a, either a physical space that we go to each day for prayer or, or worship, individual times of worship, whether it's putting on a playlist or singing a song or just kind of reflecting on who God is or reading scripture. The more we can protect a space for that, whether it's five minutes or, or 50 minutes a day, whether it's a set-apart time after we've done certain things of the day, the more we can protect that and make it safe, the more it builds up the reminder for us that we can trust God because we've encountered God there before. These kind of relationships that are transformational are also ones that are built over time. It takes time to build trust. I mean, we all know that when when trust is broken in a relationship, it, it takes time and energy and patience to rebuild it. And the truth is is that transformation takes place over time. It would take the Israelites 40 years to wander through the desert. They could have gotten there a lot quicker, but there was a lot of things they needed to learn. There was things that God was bringing them around. We remember in the scriptures that it says that if God took them the short path, they would have encountered a lot of other cities and civilizations, and they would have encountered war, and they would have quickly turned back. So God had to take them the longer, but less war-torn way because he understood who they were. The upside of that was it built a relationship between the people and God over time. The truth is that God is in the long game with you. God is in a long-term relationship with us and desires to see us transformed over time. And so our relationship grows over time with God. One of the ways that we can help do this practically is by journaling. Maybe you love it, maybe you loathe it. The power of journaling, whether you're writing a bunch of pages or if you just write a couple of notes about the day, is in a hard season you can look back. And you'll see some areas where God has provided, and you'll see some ways you can say, oh wow, that was my prayer a year ago. Huh, I guess God did take care of that. Or maybe God did answer that, or it worked out in this way. For me in this season, one of the things I'm, th- I'm thankful that I did was I-, I journaled about our experience when we began starting Citrus Church before we had a name or anybody was connected with it or we were even together. And I can look back on, this is a hard season for us as a church as it is for everybody. And I can look back and I can say, God provided back then. This thing that we're doing is bigger than me or us or, or anything that God is working in our community. And so journaling helps us to remember what God has done in the past, and that helps us to trust in the present. The third thing about this kind of relationship is that it's other-focused. Have you ever thought to begin your prayer this way? God, what's on your mind today? 
right? God, what, what plans do you have for me today? Like, I know what's on my agenda. I know what I've got planned, but what are you up to? I don't often hear an answer to that. I mean, honestly, I don't ever really hear an answer to that. What that does for me is it just helps me to focus beyond myself and to think about what is God doing, and that helps me to pay more attention to others, and it just gets me out of my head and my stuff, right? These are some practices that we can do that will help us to move from from the wine, right, into experiencing the water and the refreshment of God. And unlike the Israelites in this moment, being able to appreciate the gift. And so perhaps the area isn't named, or the season isn't named the time of our complaining, but instead we can name it the time that God provided. So these kinds of transformational relationships are by definition an experience where we are changed from one thing to the other, where our thinking is changed from one way to another, where our actions towards others become different, and where our relationship to God can, if we've gotten stuck in a vending machine type relationship, where that can be transformed into a more fulfilling and life-giving relationship. And so I'm thinking this morning about uh, those perhaps who maybe you're new to Citrus or you're watching this and you know that you've never trusted Jesus. You've never given your life to Jesus and you wouldn't say that you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, but you recognize and you sense that God wants to invite you into that, that you'd like to be in a transformational relationship with God where, where you can see God's provision and God meeting us in the dark and the difficult places and shining light. If, if that's you, I want to encourage you to to click today at citrus.org. There's a button there called Follow Jesus, and you can indicate what that looks like. Whether it's the first time you've trusted or maybe if you felt like you've been away from God intentionally for a while and you want to return. Um, that step of faith, that, that shares that with me, and I would just love to connect and talk with you more about that. But also know that you're not alone. If, if you're new to this, all the rest of us, we still have to learn this too. A transformational relationship is one that just continues to grow over time. And so I hope that all of us are encouraged today to recognize that we can leave each encounter with God different. And maybe it's intangible in the moment, but over time it builds that trust and relationship and connection that sustains us in these desert times. So when we see this idea of hitting the rock and bringing forth water, right? It's a reminder to us to lean into God and to trust Jesus. One of the ways we do that is simply here when we gather week by week. We wish it was in person, but right now we're online and it's not convenient and it's not as enriching and filling as it was when we were in person. But together as a worshiping community, we're hitting the rock, right? Because of all the things that we could be doing today, we're choosing to be here and present with this group of people and I'm so thankful that we can comment and kind of see each other in that way. We're choosing to be present and to lift up our hearts and worship to God, the God who provides, the God who is present for you. And this is a transformative relationship that we have with God and that God gifts to one of us and to each other. Thanks for listening. Make sure to visit our website, citruschurch.org. If you found refreshments in this message, share it with a friend. And hey, God loves you. 